This morning we're in uh, Leviticus. Leviticus, we finished Exodus last week. Now Leviticus is, I know when you look at it as a, <laughs> as a book, you say, my goodness, you know, all these rituals, all these ceremonies, all these sacrifices and everything, you know, and it's, it's pretty gory and everything, and you think, this is hard reading. And it is in a way, if you take each individual one there, but we want to look at it like always, it's the big picture. Now the big picture is beautiful. The picture that God has got for us and the message that's here is beautiful there. But uh, we don't need to get bogged down in just these details here in, the, in every sacrifice that was given. And a lot of people would say, well, what does that have to do with me or to, for us today? Well, it, it, we'll see. The big picture is what we got to look at. What God is telling us through His books in the Bible here. And so I hope that uh, uh, you can get a blessing today and God will help with us. He's already blessed me. I hope that I can bring it out and, and that He can show us this because it's there for a reason and it, and it is a, a simpler message. It's not that difficult if we really get to looking at it. But on uh, if you'll see the in your announcements the, the biblical places there, the Scripture... I've got Leviticus, the beauty of holiness. The beauty of holiness now. And that's what I want us to look at this morning. That's a big part of it is the beauty of holiness. Now I want us to start with Psalms 29 and verse 2. 29 and verse 2 is, uh, it gets our sights on this about the beauty of the holiness here. Psalms 29 and 2 says, Give unto the Lord the glory due His name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. In the beauty of holiness. Now we think of holiness as maybe somebody that's sort of uptight, got a frown, trying to be just everything perfect and everything. That's not what we're talking about. That's not holiness here. And so, but happiness and not holiness is what is the chief pursuit of most people today including many professed Christians. It's happiness and not holiness here. Now, we wanting Jesus to solve our problems and to carry our burdens, we want that, but we don't want Him to control our lives and to change my character. We don't want that, but we want the other. Now, today is 9-11. It was 15 years ago today that the towers, trade towers in New York were bombed just to couple of hours ago, it was about 9 o'clock, 9.30, and everybody in here probably remembers where you were at and what you were doing when you heard that. It's just one of those that's impressed in your mind. I was there at Henniger School in the office there, and it, I just could not believe it. I, I went in there in the counselor's office watching the television, and I couldn't believe my eyes what I was seeing, because years before that I had been there in New York and stood at the foot of those huge buildings, and it looked like they went out of sight. I mean, they like they went into the clouds. They were humongous. And that's what I thought of when I saw them crumbling like a powder of dust, that I stood at the foot of it and thought nothing could tear those down. But that was 15 years ago today was when that happened. Now, at that time, people fell on their knees. They were praying to God like I've never seen a nation do in my lifetime and probably since World War II. Everybody was wanting to say, pray for us. The, there was advertisements, you know, about 
Pray for our country. God bless America. Uh, and nobody was complaining. Nobody was saying, you hurt my feelings. And nobody was saying, you know, I've been, uh, you know, uh, that you're uh, stepping on my toes with this. Nobody did. We were wanting something because we wanted them to carry our burdens, God. And, and we wanted them to solve our problems. And we knew we couldn't and we wanted something greater than we were. But that's been in 15 years now. All that was going on then. We had speakers coming to the White House, preachers. They were preaching messages. There was songs sung, Amazing Grace and everything. That was just fine. There wasn't nothing wrong with it, boy. We wanted them all in here because we were troubled. We had problems and we had burdens and we wanted somebody greater than we are because we couldn't do it. But let's look ahead 15 years. We'd have never thought what we'd have come in 15 years. We were on our knees bowing down to God and that was perfectly fine. I just heard the other day that the, the Army football team, their coach had them to bow down and they prayed a prayer in Jesus' name and now the organization against uh, religious freedom, they've got it, or uh, an organization against religion is, is trying to lawsuit against him for praying in Jesus' name, bowing down. And then everybody wanted to do it because they were scared and had a problem. Just like I said, we want them to, God to solve our problem and our burden, but not to change our character, not to, to change our lives here. And, and, and that's not what God wants us to do. That's where the holiness comes in. Eight times in the Bible, eight times throughout the Bible, God says to his people, be holy for I am holy. Be holy, for I am holy. Jonathan Edwards, the renowned minister and writer, he, he wrote one time, he said, He that sees the beauty of holiness sees the greatest and most important thing in the world. The one that sees holiness is, sees the greatest and most important thing in the world. Have you ever thought of, a, a, of personal holiness and likeness to Christ as the most important thing in your life? Have you? Have we ever thought of that personal holiness and being the likeness of Christ is the most important thing in our, in our being? We don't think of that much, do we? That quote that I always quote so many times from Billy Graham when he says being a Christian is more than an instantaneous process or instantaneous uh, moment. He says it's a daily process whereby we become more and more like Christ. That's what uh, this holiness, be holy, that I am holy. And, uh, but here in Leviticus, we come to, it's a series of rituals and ceremonies. There are sacrifices on every page. It seems useless to us today. It seems like it's, it's no use. And people say, well, that's just, you know, I don't ever read that. That's no use to it. But what are these strange details about and what's the goal of us for today? That's what I want us to look at. Us. Why do they have these and what's the purpose of these things? I want you to look one verse is the main verse of Leviticus. I want you to look it up. Now, this is Leviticus 20 and 26. Leviticus 20 and 26. If you don't read another verse in Leviticus, you read that one. That is the main verse. That's what the rest of the book is about. That's what our message today is about is this. This is the one that points us to what God is telling us and what He wants us to see right here. But Leviticus 20 and 26, it says... And you shall be holy to me, for I am the Lord am holy, and have separated you from the people, that ye should be mine. He said, I, you shall be holy, because I'm holy, and I've separated you. I've made you a separate people. 
because that you should be mine. You are mine, he's saying right here. And so that's what the whole book is about. But God is saying right here, he says, I have separated you from all the nations around you in order that ye might be mine. God separates us so that we're His, that we're one of His. That's what He was doing here, was giving them these things that nobody else in the world was doing except the children of God right here, the children of Israel, the Jews. They were the only ones that was doing this right here in the manner that He said to do it. But He did it because He wanted it was going to be His. We're the people of God today. We are. We're the people through Jesus Christ. It says in the Bible, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, but we're one in Christ. And so we're the ones that's the people of God today. We're the ones that's separated. We're the ones that's His today. But this, the principles that stressed here in Leviticus, it applies to the New Testament church also. It applies to it in Leviticus 11th chapter. 11 and verses 44 and 45. It says, I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore consecrate yourselves and ye shall be holy, for I am holy. Neither shall ye defile yourselves with any creeping thing that creeps on the earth. For I am the Lord your, your Lord who brings you up out of the land of Egypt. To be your God, ye shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. And also over in the New Testament, First Peter. Peter speaks about it here, and, and he tells us some of the uh, same things here. He said, First Peter 1, 15 and 16. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. You know, but the book of Leviticus, we say that it's not maybe important, some people do. Well, do you know how many times in the New Testament that it's either quoted or referred to? Over 100 times is Leviticus quoted or referred to in the New Testament. That shows us that somehow that it's pretty important, isn't it? But... Leviticus tells the New Testament Christians how to appreciate holiness and how to use it in their everyday lives here. But now, holiness really means wholeness. W-H-O-L-E-N-E-S-S, wholeness. Holiness means wholeness. And it's a state of being complete right here. God is really saying you shall be whole because I am whole. You're going to be complete because I'm complete here. Now, look at God. He, he is perfect. He's complete. He has no blemishes. All of these animals they were looking, he has no blemishes in God. He's a beautiful person. He's absolutely what a person ought to be is what God is. He says, I'm complete. You're going to be complete. You're going to be complete because you are mine. And he said he was, he's filled with joy, love, and peace. This is God here. You know, but God, he tells us, you too shall be whole. He tells us, you too shall be whole. You know the little old song that the kids sing, God's still working on me. God's still working on me. It says, he's still working on me to make me what I need to be. He took him just a week to make the moon and the stars, the sun and the earth and Jupiter and Mars. How loving and patient he must be because he's still working on me. <laughs> there really ought to be a sign upon my heart. Don't judge me, don't judge him yet. There's an unfinished part. But I'll be better just according to his plan, fashioned by the master's loving hand. In the mirror of his word, reflections that I see, makes me wonder why he never gave up on me. But he loves me as I am and helps me when I pray. Remember, he's the potter, 
and I'm the clay. He's still working on me. Now I think everybody in here that he's still working on us and he is me. <laughs> He'll never get that thing built until <laughs> I get a new body. It won't never be corrected all the way, but he's always working on me. He's working on you and us all the time here. But God says here, he says, you too will be whole. You Now, this is an upbeat message here. I hope you leave feeling good today because this is not a gloom and doom. This is God telling us how much He loves us and the sacrifices that you're mine, you have been mine, you are mine, and you will be mine. He's telling us through this holiness that He's, he's got here. But you know, when man first came and was made by the hand of God, you know, he functioned as the way God intended him to be. Adam was the perfect man. That's the way God intended us to work, to be. But here, when sin entered it, well, it was marred. And, and, and we still have the image, but we've lost the likeness to God. Listen to that. We still, we've still got the image of God, but we've lost the likeness to God. He's telling us here. But God never forces us to become holy. God never forces us to be holy. It's always voluntary. It's always. Here in these, all these sacrifices, all of the animals, all the rituals, it was voluntary. You picked your animal, you picked the one you thought was good enough, and you brought it as a sacrifice. Nobody made you. Nobody chose it for you. You did it on your own. It was an individual. Same thing with you and me. We pick our sacrifice, which is us, and present it to God. Nobody else can do it for us. Nobody else, else will. But all of these ceremonies and offerings of the Old Testament, all of them, every single one of them, are just a shadow and just a picture of Jesus Christ. Every single one of them was a shadow and a picture of Jesus Christ that was coming. If you'll turn to Hebrews, the 10th chapter, a beautiful chapter, and you come back and read all of it later, but the 10th chapter of Hebrews, I want to dwell on just a few minutes. But this is in Hebrews writing about this right here, about the shadow and the picture of the sacrifices. Hebrews 10, verse 1, it says, For the law having a shadow of things to come. The law had a shadow of things. God had to show the people that they needed a Savior. He had to show them that there has to be a sacrifice. It had to be accepted. It had to be what God told them in order to be forgiven for their sins. And that's the same with us, but it was just a shadow. Verse 4, for it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. He's telling us here that there's no way that these bulls and goats and their blood could take away sin. What did they have to do? Yearly. Every year they had to do it. They had a yearly day of atonement for everybody. And then they had individual. You could bring in a burnt offering. You could bring in a grain offering, a peace offering, individual times. Every time you messed up or you had something wrong, you had to go get you a lamb or a goat or a pigeon, bring it in, give it to the priest. He had to look at it. If it was okay, he'd sacrifice it. Your sins were forgiven and you go back home. And that was over and over and over and over again. It never stopped. And that's what the writer here is saying. That didn't work. He wanted to show man that that didn't work. 
Verse 10 in, in, in Hebrews 10. By that will we have been sanctified through the offerings of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Verse 12. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. Verse 14. For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Verse 18. There is no longer an offering of sin. And he goes on, he tells us for, not to forsake ourselves. Uh, let us hold fast the confession of our faith without wavering. He, he, read that whole chapter, but it's where he's telling us that it wasn't sufficient. This kind of a sacrifice was not uh, sufficient for us here. Now Christ was available. All these symbols and all these rituals, Christ was available to them through these things. That's the way he met with them. That's the way he met with the priest is when they came in and gave the offering. He talked to them then. He accepted their prayers then as the incense floated up. The sweet savor was given to him. He met with him. They met with him through this kind of way. Now, think about, would you like to go back to that and that's the way that you met with God? Is you brought the sacrifice to a certain place and blood had to be shed before you could talk to him? They didn't commune with him at home. It was... It, not with you. He dwelt in the tabernacle. He wasn't with the individual people here. I don't think we'd want to go back to that. But as they placed their trust in God, well then they had the same peace and the same comfort that you and I have uh, in the New Testament believers. But now, this book, chapters 1 through 17, it, it's about how to approach God. And then verse, chapters 18 through 27 is about how to live how to have holiness, how to have sanctification. You know, we're all made as priests, every one of us now. We're like the priest. We can offer up the sacrifice. We can give it to God. We don't have to let no one else. We can do it ourselves, and they couldn't. They couldn't offer it here. You know, but the opportunity to respond to God is completely voluntary. <laughs> you know that our rejection of God, it becomes progressive. How many people, there may be some sitting here right now that you're getting cold and indifferent to God's Word. It's always progressive. It doesn't just start and end with one moment. It gradually gets started. I've seen people through the years and I knew where they were headed. I could see the attitude and the way they looked at it. It was progressively getting worse. It was progressively getting farther away from God. And why, when we see that, why don't we do something? But we just keep a-going. Before we know it, we're out, we're gone, we don't do anything, we don't have any part of it. And how many in here know someone just like that? We all do. It happens to good people, to good people here, but it's progressive, it keeps a going here. The gradual hardening of the heart. Over and again, this happens here. But God, He wants us to understand that He's provided a way to live holy. He's provided a way to live holy. And we do not have to live up to certain standards before God will accept us. He wants us to realize that if you're coming to church and you think that you've got to clean up first and you've got to get your house in order before God's going to accept you, you're wrong. You come as you are. God straightens you up. Then you go home and then you clean up. We've got it all backwards. We got it backwards. We think we got to do it. You can't do it. You can't do it on your own. You can't straighten up and forgive your sins and all this. You come as you are. You let God 
straighten you up. You pray to Him. He straightens you up, cleans you up, sends you home, and then you change. There must be a change, but you don't do it. God straightens you up first. Now then, have you ever heard these kind of comments? It bothers me when I hear it. Some people will say, they'll say this, they think I have to be perfect to go over to that church. They may say, I'm not good enough for church people. They may say, I'm too much of a sinner to attend God's house. They may say, I can't measure up to their standards. Whose standards? God doesn't even have standards that you have to live up to. Why does people's standards matter? They don't. If God doesn't have a standard that you have to meet before you can come to Him, my goodness, we need to let the world know that. That our standards don't matter. God doesn't have any. He says, come as you are. Just as I am, you come and lay it to God and ask Him to change you. Then it'll happen there instead of looking at it the other way and, and backwards here. But I said they had the Day of Atonement. This was a yearly sacrifice for all the people. They had a burnt offering. It was an individual sin offering that you could make. They had a scapegoat. They took a goat and they laid their hands on him. They were laying all their sins on him. They took him out in the desert and threw him out and let him go. He was a scapegoat for all the sins. He was to get lost, to get gone, to disappear. That was their sins for the year. Thank God that's not the way we do it now. <laughs> we don't have to. Depend on a goat. <laughs> but the Old Testament is just full of blood. It's full of it. There's rivers of blood flowing through all 39, 39 books of the Old Testament. It's flowing everywhere. There's sacrifices of bulls, calves, goats, sheep, birds of all kinds. Blood is flowing everywhere. What is all this bloodshed? What is all this bloodshed that's going on? <laughs> because God is trying to impress on us one fundamental fact. One fundamental fact. Now, listen to this. He's trying to tell us that, that our sin condition runs very deep. Our sin condition runs very deep and can be solved only by a death. It is so deep, it goes to the bones and the marrow of our bodies. It's not just skin deep and I can't wash my hands as Pilate did. It goes down into the heart. It's so deep that the only thing that will take care of it and solve it is by a death. By a death of the individual or some other sacrifice. That's what he was showing with all these deaths of these animals out there. And you see where we're heading <laughs> in Christ here. He was wanting us to see that. But the death that is pictured in each and every one of these animals, every one that was sacrificed on that altar, is just, uh, it, it's just a picture. It's just a picture of the death of God's Son, Jesus Christ. It's what every one of them is pointing to. That that sin, the only way it went so deep, so deep in an individual that it took a death. Can anyone here control all of your sins? I don't think so. Can all of us control the thoughts, the temptations? No. It goes too deep. It's in our bones, in our marrow. It's in our makeup that's there. 
I can wash my hands. I can do things. And it will help for a while, but does it get rid of it? No. Will it control it? No. It takes the death of something. And that death in the Old Testament was birds and animals and goats and sheep. In our day, in the New Testament, it was the blood of Jesus Christ. And that's why he died. That's why he was the picture. This was a picture of his death that was coming here. You know, the Bible is not nearly concerned with what you do in the tabernacle as what you do in the home that is a result of what you did in the tabernacle. Just like right this morning, God is not necessarily so concerned with what you've done in the church, maybe. He blesses you and He's pleased with things, but He's more concerned with when you go home and what you use that you learned in the tabernacle to take it home with you. That's what he's concerned with. That takes God here, the sacrifice here. That moment of sacrifice, it went away. But it was when they took it home with them, which we can today with Christ here. Amen. You know, but uh, the most important thing in life, it's not these laws and these rituals, but it's a personal experience with the living God that's behind all of these rituals. It wasn't that lamb or that goat that they sacrificed. That was not it. It was the experience of the God that they were offering it to. It was the experience that they were giving it to Him the best that they had. They were giving it to Him as a sacrifice and repentance and pain of their sin. They were giving it to Him, and that's why it was good. You know, God calls us to make a choice. He calls us to make a decision is required of all of us. Everybody in here, if you've never, you've heard it said make a decision for Christ, well, God's got to call you first. But, you know, we're all going to make a choice and a decision sometime. I don't care if it's now or in this life. You're going to make one. We're going to all make one. You know, the choice is entirely ours. Entirely ours. If I wanted to give a goat and I went out, or a cow, or a calf, and I went out here, I said, I'm going to believe I'm going to give that little white one right there, I'm going to take him. It was my choice to give that one. Or I might want to give us a little black one over here. It was my choice which one I was going to give. What's my choice that I'm going to give God? My sacrifice It's my choice what I'm going to do. You know, God says, you, you know, you can stay right, and you can, or you, and you can have life. Or you can stay right where you are. He, he's not forcing us to but you have to choose. He never forces us, but He does expect a response. You know when God, if He's come and talked to you and you said yes or no, He let you choose, but He wanted a response. You responded one way or the other. If you walked out, you responded. You said no. Or if you walked out, or if you did whatever He said, you responded there. But the choice is ours to make. Now, back to this main verse, Leviticus 20 and 26 here. <clears throat> Beautiful verse. Back to it. Let me read it again. It says, And ye shall be holy to me, for I am the Lord of holy, and have separated you from all people, that ye shall be mine. Mine. This is a good part here. He says that you are mine. In the Hebrew language now, the word that they use right here, it's all three tenses, past, present, and future. What God is really saying here, He says, you were mine, you are mine, and you will be mine. 
We are. All three of them we are. If you know God, you were His, you are His, and you will be His. We get down too much sometimes to stomping on ourselves and saying God won't accept us. Yes, He will. Yes, He will. He'll help you change our life and enjoy life instead of walking around with our head down and thinking about how terrible I am and how terrible things are. Forget those in the past and go into the future here is what he's saying here. You are mine. You were mine. And you shall be mine, he's telling us here. Amen. I'm thankful for that. But before we were saved, you know, when you look back, God was active and he was involved in your life even before then. I want everybody to look at that for a moment. Look back at your life before you became a Christian. You look at the things. Was God active in your life? Was he? You know, I've heard a lot of people. I've heard some men back at, were in World War II. They talked about how many times they should have been killed. They were lost. They didn't know God. And they said they should have been killed over and over. But now then that they're a Christian and years later, they look back and they say, I know why I wasn't. God had a hand in my life. God had a hand in me. How many people sitting right here that you probably say, I should have been dead. You know, I should have had all these things. But God had a hand in bringing you to where you are now. Look at your family around you. Look at what would have been gone that would have never happened if God had not brought you through it all. Your children and grandchildren, your home, your church, they'd have never existed if God had not had a hand in bringing you forward. Isn't that great that He knows all the future and everything? He knows all of that. He says, you were mine, you are mine, and you shall be mine. He knows all those things. You know, Paul, he expressed the same thing, Paul, on that, over in uh, Galatians 1 and 15. He said, when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through His grace. Paul, he said, from my mother's womb, I was called by God's grace. Now, what did Paul do in his First young adult life. He persecuted every Christian that he could find. He wanted to destroy the name of Jesus Christ. And look what happened to Paul. <laughs> if God had let them do away with him or let them destroy him, we'd have never had half of the New Testament. We'd have never had the words of grace of Paul here. If God had not been with him, from his mother's womb, he said that he was with me. Called me by his grace. And yet he blasphemed God. He tortured the Christians until he was on the road to Damascus and he met Jesus. <laughs> he met Jesus and changed his whole life right here. Amen. That's the way all of us are. But you know, God has amazing patience. He's got amazing love for us. <laughs> he draws it from himself. He's got amazing patience. Parents, if you've got a wayward child, God's got amazing patience. He's got amazing love that's reaching out there and He says, they are mine, they shall be mine. They are mine. Maybe a, a wife, your husband, just will not go with you. Will not serve the Lord. He, God is saying He's got patience. He's got patience. He can... Reach it through the prayers and all. He said, if he's mine, he's still mine. And if he's not, he, he can be mine here. But he says, even though you've sinned against me, 
you're hostile to me, you're fighting against me. He says, you're still mine. Even if you're lost, you're God's. He has all of us. You're God's. We're all God's. Everybody's sitting in here. You're the Lord's. And he, he, he's, he said, it don't matter if you do fight against me. Isn't that a great love? He doesn't say, well, I don't like, you don't like me, I don't like you. You know, we'd be in trouble, wouldn't we? He says, you're mine. You're mine. And if he's called you, and he's predestined, and he knows what you're doing, you're going to do what God has you to do. You're mine, he's saying. When we come to him in brokenness and pain and imperfection, he places his loving hand on us and accepts that. I want you to listen. When we come broken and with pain and with our imperfection, you know, that old goat, he couldn't have an imperfection. He couldn't have a blemish. They wouldn't take it. But God does. How many of us has no blemishes? No blemish whatsoever. Nobody. Nobody. We'd all be thrown out. Nope, nope, can't take you. Gone. But we can come with our imperfection. And what they did is they laid, you saw it the other night at the ordination. We laid our hands on my head. I told them before we come out, I said, that's from the Old Testament. That's from the Exodus and, and Leviticus where they laid their hands on the sacrifice of the lamb and they were putting the blessing on them here and, and accepting them their sacrifice that they were about to give. And, and, and they laid their hands on them here. That's what God does when we kneel down in the altar. We give our sacrifice of our soul and our heart and our being. God lays His big old beautiful hands down on our head and He says, I accept your sacrifice. I accept your pain and your imperfection. You're mine. You have been mine and you will be mine. It will always be here. Amen. I'm glad I serve a Lord like that. Here's a story that goes along with it. It was a children's service and it was in a rescue mission and it was out west in the Midwest. And the children were taking part in this service. And there was a little six-year-old boy. He was walking across the stage to receive his certificate. Now the little boy, he had a, a major physical defect. He was bad humpback. There was another child, a boy in the audience that was out there and he yelled out he said, hey kid, where are you going with that pack on your back? Well the little boy, he stopped and he started crying and shaking because of what was said to him. There was a man in the audience, he stood up and he walked up to the stage and he picked up the little boy and he put him in his arms and he helped him. And he said, who said that? Nobody said anything of course. He said, that's what I thought. He said, it takes a real coward to do something like that but he looked at him and he said I want you to know something he said this is my boy this is my boy he said you've really hurt him but I want everyone to know that I love this boy just the way he is and I'm proud of this boy because he's mine he's mine that's the way God looks at me and you we may have a deformity other people may laugh at it. It may not be perfect, but God comes and picks us up. And he says, I'm proud of this boy because he's mine. He's mine. Amen. Don't that make you feel good when you know that God has to do that over and over? He's had to pick me up a lot of times from imperfections and sins and pick me up and say, 
And I'm proud of him still. He's mine. He's mine. I'm not just thrown away. I'm not just rejected because I got a blemish and I can't never come to him again that he won't accept me because I got to be perfect. No, isn't that great? Isn't that great that we can do that, that he loves us that way? You know, (laughs) that's what God's saying to us. That's what he's saying to us. Here, right here, he says, he sees our hurts and our brokenness, and he says, you're mine, you're mine, you're mine. And I'm proud of you, you're mine, and you always will be mine, is what he's saying here. You know, but that's not all. That's not all he's saying. He's talking about the future too. He says, you will be mine. He says, you will be healed and made whole. All your blemishes and deformities will be corrected. All your faults will be straightened out. All your sins will be erased. All your tangled relationships will be unsnarled. You will be whole, for I am whole. What did he say right at the first? Be holy, for I am holy. He said to be whole, W-H-O-L-E, because I am whole. He says, I'll make you whole. That's what this book is about. Leviticus is about being holy because God is holy. It's about being whole, complete, because God will make us complete one of these days. We'll be as God. And that's what the Bible is about. It's about being complete, being whole, being whole because holy because God is holy here. But he says, you will be mine. And that's what Jesus Christ is all about. Is you will be mine and be complete as I am. You know, I thought of this little old song. I want ours if you would sing it. It's, Yes, Jesus Loves Me. It's page uh, 434. 434. That's a simple kid's song, but even the kids can understand that song. Yes, Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. You know, we can all understand that because it does. That's the story. That's what it's about. Be holy because I'm holy. Be complete because I'm complete. You will be. We're not now, but we will be. We will be if we're God's uh, this morning. So if you need to offer a sacrifice, don't be ashamed to talk to God. Don't be ashamed to ask Him for forgiveness and brokenness. He loves you. He always has. He does now, and He always will because you're His. You're His. Come ahead, Iris. Page what? 431. 431 in the, in the, <clears throat> the red book there, the, Everyone stand.